Good morning, everyone. Um, we're going to share this morning uh, the final part of Romans chapter 8. And we are sharing, uh, as I've been saying uh, th- for the third week, this is the, uh, the greatest chapter in the greatest letter in the greatest book ever written. Um, not, unfortunately, preached by the greatest preacher who ever preached, but uh, just by me. And uh, this last part of Romans chapter 8 brings it all together. Paul, uh, last week we, we preached about, I preached about uh, present sufferings and future glory. And, uh, and through the whole of Romans, we've been preaching around this idea of justification by faith. And now this last bit of Romans 8, Paul brings it all together as the inspired word of God. God speaks to us in the most powerful way through this passage. It is, it is amazing. And verses in here, I'm sure if you've been around church at all, if you know your scripture at all, you will, you will know some of these verses. They will mean something to you. They're just awesome. If you have never, ever come across scripture, you are in for a treat because what is in these verses is wonderful promises of God. So open up if you have a Bible uh, or alternatively look on your screen to Romans chapter 8. We're going to start at verse 28 and go through to verse 39. Uh, Paul, Paul writes, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he called, uh, and those he uh, predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, And is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. uh, We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things... We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's get the band up. We'll just go into the last song. <laughs> what do I add to that? Well, hopefully something to help explain it. Let's pray and we'll get into it. Heavenly Father, this uh, wonderful scripture that speaks so powerfully about 
truth that should affect every single part of our life and every single day of our life, I pray that you would allow it to speak into our hearts, into our minds, into the deepest part of who we are and how we live uh, as your spirit works in us. Uh, Illuminate your word and speak to us in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Romans 8.28, I consider that our uh, I can, that's 18. Uh, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. When I read this, I, I think this is so important because what I want to unpack to you is that I think actually that Western Christianity, comfortable Western middle class Christianity and biblical Christianity actually are often quite different how we have come to understand the Christian life, what we desire out of life, what we want in life, and what God wants for us in our life and what God's real heart is for us are actually often two different things. And really the goal, therefore, is not that God kind of comes comes around to our agenda, but that we actually come to understand God's plan and purpose in our life. And we actually submit to His plan for our life. There's a, there's a story about life and how we perceive it. I, I kind of heard this and um, uh, it was a story based around the, the American Civil War and it kind of goes like this. A man was talking about the story of his son and he said, uh, uh, my son, um, uh, he he'd saved up all this money and, and he bought this beautiful, this fantastic new horse that he could ride. And, and the man's friend says, wow, that's, that's wonderful. He says, yes, but then he was out riding and he he fell off the horse and he broke his leg in four places. The man says, that's terrible. He said, yeah, but then the the local colonel and the the army drafters, it was a civil war, and, and they came into town and they drafted all the young men to go off and fight in the civil war. But my son didn't have to go and fight. He avoided the battle where he could have been killed because of his leg. The man said, oh, that's wonderful. He said, yeah, but, but then they all went off to fight. And they were so successful in the battle that they were decorated and somehow they came across all this gold and treasure and, and they came home rich and successful and everyone was proud of them. And my son, he was the one man in the town who missed out on that. He said, oh, it's terrible. He said, yeah, but then they took all their money and they were so proud, they became arrogant. They went into the city and they all, they all got drunk and partied and they all got locked up and put in jail i can't remember that's terrible but my son missed out on it but my son missed out he said oh that's that's wonderful yeah but then actually just feeling alone and isolated and the only guy left in his village and the one who didn't go to battle it just ate at him and he he actually fell into a deep depression and they said oh that's terrible yeah but in his in his low point he actually turned back to God and found Jesus. Ah, oh, that's wonderful. There's an interesting story. Let me tell you a real story. A story about a guy named Paul. This is Paul's real story. Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He studied the Scriptures and knew them back to front. He was zealous for God. That is wonderful. 
But then when he heard about these Christians, he was so incensed about this new teaching about Jesus that he began to persecute them and he began to travel from place to place, putting them in jail and was even there while a Christian named Stephen was stoned to death and he gave approval for that. It's terrible. You probably don't have to call it out. I'll just go through it. But then... Paul, on his way to actually a town where he wanted to arrest more Christians, met Jesus and, was, and encountered the living Jesus and fell to his knees and gave his life to Jesus. And in that moment, he became not only a Christian, but someone who began dedicating his life to sharing the gospel of Jesus with those who didn't know it. He became an apostle to the Gentiles. That is wonderful. But then for doing that, he was locked up. He was beaten. Once he was, he was whipped several times to within a point of of losing his life. Uh, He was attacked by people. He was mocked and scorned and treated terribly. That is terrible. He was thrown in prison. That's terrible. But from prison, he wrote letters that have formed the Bible. That, That actually now the scripture, we only have those letters because he couldn't travel to those places. So he wrote letters to them. That's wonderful. In fact, he then got released and continued to do ministry. That's wonderful. But then he got arrested again. This time, eventually, he got got put on a boat and he got taken to Rome. And eventually, eventually, he was executed. If I have this right, he was beheaded for, for following Jesus and making him known. That is terrible. But where is Paul now? He is with Jesus. That's wonderful. It's wonderful. It's interesting when we consider this idea about how God works all things for good, how we tend to uh, have a perception of things in a moment. We judge things from our perspective and uh, from our human nature. And when we, um, and when we think and operate outside of, uh, we just tend to sort of look at things and we go, oh, this is terrible or this is wonderful and we have this perspective which is bound purely in kind of the here and now, but then we forget there's actually the sovereign God who sees the end from the beginning and actually has a plan for us that is kind of bound from all, all eternity. And, you know, you have to ask, well, which part of story was, was God with Paul and at work in Paul's life? Which parts? All parts, not just the great parts where it's all going well for Paul. He certainly didn't abandon Paul at any point. In fact, you could probably say that he was more closely with Paul in the hard times. And so our greatest desire, if we're honest, and, and you, can, you can shout out if this is different for you, but I would suspect that our greatest desire is, and this is kind of driven by our flesh, is that we become and remain healthy and wealthy and happy. That's what we want. We want to be healthy. We want to be wealthy. We want to be happy. We'd rather be successful than a failure. We'd rather be comfortable than uncomfortable. We, in fact, we want to avoid uh, all physical and emotional pain and all grief and loss. And that's not a bad thing. That's natural. But that is not God's greatest desire for you. God's greatest desire for you is that you become more like Jesus. Do you know that? There's our desire, healthy, wealthy, happy, comfortable. There's God's greatest desire, which is that we become more like 
Jesus. And the truth is that the things that mature us and deepen us and grow us and transform us into the likeness of Jesus are often things that clash with our desire for health, wealth, comfort and happiness. It's interesting we give birthday cards and, and I write this in birthday cards. May the Lord bless you and, and just pray for God's for every success for you for the coming year. Perhaps we should write in birthday cards, may the Lord allow you to experience difficulty and trial and hardship in the coming year so that through it you become more like Jesus. <laughs> they would get an interesting reaction. What does John chapter 15 say in the, in the vine and the branches? He says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more helpful. Friends, we've got to understand that God is coming at us with uh, pruning shears. That sounds a little (laughs) harsh. In the analogy, that's the truth though. That God wants to either cut off or he wants to prune. And I imagine if you're a tree, both of those processes are a little painful. God wants to actually make us more like Jesus. And so we come into this, uh, this passage and uh, I want to talk about five unshakable convictions in Romans 8.28. Uh, the message I should have said has got five unshakable convictions, five undeniable affirmations and five unanswerable questions. That's where we're going today, and they'll thank John Stott for that uh, little saying. But five unshakable convictions. Here's the first one. And we know. And we know. Uh, you know, Paul says about spiritual gifts, I do not wish, want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. I don't want you to be ignorant. I want you to know and understand. I think Paul could also say this about suffering and difficulty and hardship. I don't want you to be ignorant either or misled. And we know. That in all things, not just good things, not just things that happen in, in this moment while we're at church, but actually more in the things that happen out of church. We don't grow so much through sermons. Hopefully, hopefully you grow a little through sermons, but you're going to grow a lot through life. More through sermon, more through life than sermons. And we know that in all things, God works. God works. There is never a time when God is not at work in your life. There is never a time. There is never a time when God's gone on holiday, when God's having a rest, when God's just uh, daydreaming. God is at work in your life at all time and in all circumstances. And that is really just, I just really want us to capture this. I really believe that this scripture changes our whole understanding on life and struggles and difficulty And I preached this last week. I'm preaching it again because it's so important that we understand it. We know that in all things, uh, we know that in all things, God works for the good. God works for the good. In that, that's not saying all things are good, but it's saying that in all things, God works for the good of us, of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. I wonder if you can think of a situation in your life right now where you are confused, angry, frustrated, disappointed, 
dismayed, feeling defeated, stressed, worried, or fearful. Anyone, anyone tick one of those boxes? I don't know that there'd be anyone here. That's a pretty comprehensive list, right? Somewhere, somehow, we're all experiencing that, right? I'm feeling a little bit like that this morning, okay? Behind my smiley facade. The truth is, it's not a facade, I'm smiley, but yeah, I'm feeling a bit of that this morning, okay? But we know that in all things God works uh, for good, for those who loved Him and called according to His purposes. God is at work for your good according to His purpose and His desire is to make you more like Jesus. Probably we, some of us would say, I'm, I'm happy just to be a little bit like Jesus God. You know, I, I'm just, I'm quite, I'm okay. Thank you for making me a little bit like Jesus. Probably in this moment, I'd be happy not to be made more like Jesus. You know, I'd be happy for another. How about we find another approach, God? Because this little pathway is not the pathway I would choose. But God is allowing, I don't believe causing, but He is allowing in His sovereign plan for you to go through that. It's terrible. It's wonderful. It's terrible. It's wonderful. We have a perspective. God has a sovereign, eternal perspective. That's five unshakable convictions from Romans 8.28. Next, we have five undeniable affirmations. So let's uh, have a look at the next couple of verses here. Five undeniable affirmations. Uh, for, we, for, for those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that we might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Those He predestined, He called. Those He called, He justified. And those He justified, He also glorified. Five uh, undeniable affirmations. And oh my goodness, time is really getting away. Um, I'm trying to think about how I cut this down a little. Um, Foreknowledge, the foreknowledge of God, this, this whole thing, foreknowledge, predestination, let's be honest, it's a point of conflict and difference between theologians and we could spend a couple of hours unpacking this, uh, we could spend a couple of weeks of Bible college lectures unpacking this, I don't have time to do that. I'll just say this, there's essentially two understandings around both the foreknowledge and predestination combination in this passage and some would, would see that God, this is saying, well, God foreknows all things. He knows those who are going to turn to Him. And in His foreknowledge, then, those who turn to Him, He plans and predestines that they will be conformed to the image of Christ, which means His whole plan for making you more like Jesus is then predestined to happen because He foreknows those who will turn to Him. Others draw another aspect out of it, which is focused more on the sovereignty of God and His sovereign plan in drawing us to Him. And I will say this uh, about it. Deuteronomy 7 talks about how God chose Israel. It says this, The Lord did not set His affection on you, Israel, and choose you because you are more numerous than other peoples, for you are the fewest of all peoples, but it was because the Lord loved you. And we understand when we look at the story of Israel, well, why did God choose them? Well, He chose them because He chose to choose them. And why, why did God love them? He loved them because He loved to love them. 
And it wasn't because he said, I'm going to find a really awesome, amazing people who are just being incredibly faithful, and then I'm going to choose them. He just chooses them before they've done anything good and before all the bad that they do, and he just chooses them and chooses to love them. And when we understand God's uh, work through in salvation through this whole passage and in, in thinking of foreknowledge and, and predestination, what we want to affirm here is that before we ever loved God, He loved us. Before we ever reached out to God, He was reaching out to us. That there is nothing really that we have done that in any way merits or is our action in salvation. Now, yes, we make a decision for Christ, and choose Christ, but we're only choosing Christ because He's first chosen us. Not because of what we've done, not because of a preceding good in our life, but because of His sovereign choice of us. And uh, C.J. Vaughan, a theologian, says, Everyone who is eventually saved can only describe their salvation from the first step to the last to God's favour and to act. Human merit is excluded. So those he foreknows, and, and someone else said that foreknowledge is almost synonymous in the Bible with foreloving. It's more than just a intellectual knowledge, it's a heart knowledge. The Bible, when it talks about knowing, it's like knowing intimately, knowing relationally. God knew us relationally and foreknew us and foreloved us before we turned to him. Those he predestined, he called and this is uh, there's a general call to receive Christ a gospel invitation but most would say this is referring to a specific call or the effective call that raised us called us to be raised from the dead to eternal life those he called he justified we've spoken about that and those he justified he glorified let me focus on glorified for a minute the first four things in this passage uh, the first four affirmations are things in the past Okay, those he foreknew, predestined, called and justified. If you are a believer, these things have happened in your life. But the, the glorified part is something that will happen, right? Last week's passage was present sufferings and future glory. When Romans speaks about glory, it speaks about it in the future, that we will be glorified. But uh, there's a point here that when Paul shares this, he speaks it as though it's a past action. So he speaks about a future action as having happened in the past. Those he uh, justifies, he glorifies. In the Greek, it's actually saying those he has justified, he has glorified. So why is this talking about something in the future as though it's something in the past? And the answer is because Paul is so 100% convinced of the certainty that we will be glorified that he speaks about it as though it's already happened. And some theologians get very, very excited about this. One theologian said this, because it's using the Greek tense, the aortist tense in the Greek, the verb that is used here. And one theologian says, this is just to capture how excited theologians can get about the Bible. He said, that tense of the last word is amazing. It is the most daring anticipation of faith that the New Testament contains. And I'm pretty sure, I certainly know for myself, when I read it, I didn't go, wow, that tense is amazing. 
but someone believed that and we should therefore hold on to that because it's saying that our future glory, the future glory of us being in glory with Jesus is so assured that Paul can speak about it as though it's already happened in the same way that he can speak about the fact that we have been justified and we have been called and we have been predestined and God did foreknow our future salvation. So out of that, and I'm flying through it, we have five unanswerable questions, which I'm running out of time. Can I go a little over today? Okay, I'm not going to worry about time then. Five unanswerable questions. And I'm crackling a little bit. I'm going to go to the handheld... Hands-free mic here. Okay. Five unanswerable questions. These questions bring it together from verse 31. Have a look at that. What shall we say then in response to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? There's the first question. If God is for us, who can be against us? And at one level, the answer throughout all, the history of Christianity is lots of people. Ask that question to a persecuted uh, Christian in the first century who's standing in the arena waiting for animals to be released to tear his body to pieces with a crowd jeering for his death. Who can be against me? Ask that to a, to a present-day Christian living and persecuted in parts of the Middle East, countries like Syria and Iraq. Who can be against me? My community, my family, my entire nation, the government, the secret or religious police. Ask that too, without going into it again, Israel Folau and his wife Maria. Who can be against me? The media, corporate, powerful corporate entities, uh, internet uh, worry, you know, internet PC warriors, his employers, his former friends, random strangers, politicians. Who can be against him? And yet, the call goes out. This is saying at the end of time, the message will be asked, if God is for us, where are we? Uh, where is the question? <laughs> question number one. Uh, if God is for us, the question will be asked, who can be against us? And there will come a point when we stand before God and God will ask that question, you know, well, who, who here has any word against this person? Who here well, has got an answer for that question? And there will be silence. If God is for us, in the end, the question will be asked, well, who can be against us? There will be no one against us. In the end, the answer the question will be unanswerable. There will be silence. Who is against this person? No one. Secondly, um, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Again, you, it's, it's like a court picture here, a picture in court, and we stand before God in glory, and the question is asked, despite all our sin, despite all that we've done, no matter what your story is, no matter how grave your past is, the question will be asked, who's got any charge to bring against this person? And the answer will be, no one, because we've been justified by the grace of God. Who can bring any charge against this person? No one. It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? Again, there will be a point where we stand and the question will be asked, is there anyone here who will condemn this person? Is there any condemnation that can be brought against this person? The answer 
Absolutely not. Who is the one that condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, is also interceding for us. The last passage I preached said that who was interceding for us? The Spirit. The Spirit intercedes for us, it said in the preceding passage. Now it says that Jesus also intercedes for us. The Spirit is interceding and Jesus is interceding. Who is the one that condemns? No one. There is, as we have read before, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for you because you are in Christ Jesus. No matter what happens in your future, there will be no condemnation for you because you are in Christ Jesus. And when you stand to be judged before God, there will be no condemnation for you because you are in Christ Jesus. This is the gospel. It is so good. Who is the one that condemns? No one. Who then shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Is any of that got any power to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. No matter what circumstance you are going through, no matter what circumstance or experience you go through, know this, that does not in any way separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. God's love for you is not departing you. It is not leaving you. It is never taking a leave of absence. It is never taking a holiday. It is never deciding that it's giving up on you. No matter what happens in your future, no matter what's happening in your presence, the love of God is for you and will never, ever depart from you. Nothing will separate you from the love of God. This passage here, so we get this strange little verse there in brackets. It's taken from a psalm, and the psalm is talking about Israel, that when they were being persecuted by the nations around them, not because of their faithlessness, but in this situation because they had been faithful, but they were being persecuted, and yet the situation was, hey, that doesn't separate them from God's love. God was still with Israel. He'll always be with us. And we reach... This final conclusion, verse 37, No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Paul writes to the Christians in Rome, who, who, who Rome was, was winning victory after victory, and they'd bring the defeated people in, and then they're bringing the Christians in because the Christians are being persecuted, and they're saying, you know, Christians, you are defeated, and we're after you, and we're going to persecute you, and here we are, the great power, the great empire, Rome, untouchable, unstoppable, invincible. And Paul writes... In all these things, in all our sufferings, in all our struggles, in all our failure, in all our sickness, in all our hardship, in all the stuff we go through, above all of it and in all of it, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Why? I have nothing to add to this verse. I'll simply read it. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation 
will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Actually, let me add a few things. (laughs) Nothing, neither death nor life, No, no matter what happens in the rest of your life, nothing will separate you. And when you die, it will not separate you either. It'll bring you closer to Jesus. Neither angels nor demons, people can focus on the spiritual realm and the spiritual battle, and we shouldn't deny that. But let me tell you this, nothing in the cosmic spiritual battle, angels, demons, nothing in that spiritual realm will ever separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. In whatever you read or think about or take in or, or, or hear about around the spiritual battle and the cosmic realm and the influence of the demonic or whatever, none of that has the power to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth. You can go to the bottom of the Mariana Trench if you're so inclined. That's the deepest part of the ocean. And God's love will not be separated from you there. You can fly. You can climb Everest if you would be crazy enough to do that with all the crowds on Everest now. You can, you can go to 30,000 feet on a plane. You can shoot, get you know, someone to shoot you into outer space. Wherever you go, no place will separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. No height or no depth, neither angels nor demons neither the past nor the future, nor just to give a a, sort of a rider on all of this, nor anything else in all of creation. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. This is the gospel. And we receive it simply by opening our hand and saying, yes, Lord, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for sending your Son for us. Nothing that I have done deserves this. No merit, no earning, nothing I've done has earned this. It is, it is done for us. It is received as a gift. We just hold out our hand and say, thank you, God. This is why it is so wonderful to preach the gospel. Amen. Yeah, we just say thank you, God. We say thank you, God, for this wonderful, wonderful gospel. I pray against anything that would stop that message just reaching our hearts this morning of anyone here. Pray against the influence of the evil one who would want to stop us from just holding that truth in our hearts. May it just sink to the deepest place so that it shapes who we are and how we live in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.